0: It's Tidy Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to the Tidy Tuesday podcast, a project of the R4DS online learning community. I'm your host, John Harmon. I link to everything I talk about in the show notes, which you can find at tidytuesday.com. This is episode six, covering week 40 of 2019. Let's take a look at last week's data. Last week, we looked at school diversity data from the National Center for Education Statistics via a Washington Post story. There were a diverse array of submissions this week, so be sure to take a look at the links in the show notes. The first visualization I want to look closer at this week is by Joshua Feldman from the BBC. Rather than just looking at the ethnic diversity categories that were in the data, he changed it to ethnic diversity scores and then plotted that for each state or region in the case of Washington, D.C. He also included two inset plots for the D.C. schools because those had the largest change in diversity between 1994 and 2016. To do that, he created the plots as their own standalone plots and then ran those plots through ggplotgrob from the ggplot2 package. This function converts the plot objects into grobs, which are grid graphical objects. That's the core graphical object from the grid package, which underlies ggplot2. He then added those insets to his main plot using annotation custom from ggplot2, which allows you to place grobs onto the plot pretty much like any other layer in a ggplot. We saw this before when people were putting images on their plots, but this is a great way to just put a plot onto the plot as an inset. Next, I want to look at three examples that use the geofacet package. These examples were by P.B., Yang and Jill Jill.Henriques. They used the facetgeo function from the geofacet package, which basically acts like facetwrap, which you might have worked with before from ggplot2, except instead of just laying the plots out into rows and columns, it lays it out into a shape, such as the United States. You give this function a normal facet variable, what variable that you should facet by, for example, it might be an abbreviation of the state. And then you give it a grid argument, and watch out because the help says that there are only two grids available, but there are actually more than 64. And by the time you look at that, maybe that help will be updated. And then for my final visualization, I want to talk about something I did this week, inspired by a visualization by Torsten Springer. Torsten used R for the data manipulation, but then he did the actual animation using D3. And I wanted to see if I could do the same thing using gganimate and some of the other gg tools. So to do this, first I used tidygraph to create a tree-style graph of the data, in this case where each of the school districts was in a category for 1994 and then a different category for 2016. And then I laid each of those out using the ggiraph package, that's G-G-R-A-P-H. And the key to making this work with the layout I had in mind was I used the create layout function from ggiraph, which generates a data frame of all the information about where it has put your objects, using x and y coordinates and width and height, or if you're doing the bubbles, it'll be x and y and r for a radius. And then you can manipulate that data frame to do whatever you might want to do. In my case, I wanted to spread the things out into two columns for the years and three rows for the diversity category. And at that point, I could use relatively normal geoms from ggplot2 or for the circles from ggforce. And therefore, I could use gganimate with the transition state, which basically acts like a facet wrap and lets you facet To spread things out over time instead of spreading things out over different plots. I had a lot of fun puzzling this out, but it took up a lot of the time I was going to use on this episode, so watch out for those rabbit holes. And I want to thank Thomas Lynn Peterson, who authored most of the packages that I used for this, because he was really helpful on Twitter helping me figure out how to make it actually work. The secret if you're using Geomcircle circle from ggforce is to pay attention to the n argument. If you have lots of circles, you want to make that n small enough that you can actually finish your layout without running your computer out of RAM. To see more of last week's visualizations, take a look at the links in our show notes, the TidyTuesday hashtag on Twitter, and the TidyTuesday.rocks shiny app by Neil Grantham. This week, it's a pizza party! We have data from Jared Lander's survey results from the New York R meetup. We also have Barstool Sports data via Tyler Richards. And pizza locations and price ranges from Datafinity. This dataset's kind of fun for me because Jared was actually my first R teacher, and I'm pretty sure I learned to download data in R using that pizza dataset. You might want to take a look at Pivot Wider from the newest version of the TidyR package, That can help you reshape the data to get everything into one observation per row. In this case, it's a little fuzzy, but I think it'll be easier if you think of each pizza place as one observation. And something to watch out for is I think everyone's going to be tempted to make pie charts because it's pizza. But pie charts are usually pretty hard to interpret. So think about some sort of rectangular layout. And Detroit-style pizza is rectangular anyway, and Detroit-style pizza is superior to New York style. And now it's time for the question of the week. This week's question of the week comes from Samantha Vickers Heimowitzi. Samantha was asking about ordering data in a ggplot on the axis. This is a really common question. We see this a lot on the R4DS Slack, and it's something I've run into several times, and I used to always have to look up how to do it. The issue comes about because when you're using a categorical variable for an axis, by default, it's just going to be in alphabetical order, and so you need to do something to tell ggplot the order that you want. The way to make this easy is to use the 4 cats package, which Emily Robinson calls one of the lesser-known stars of the Tidyverse. 4 has a bunch of functions for categorical variables. That's where the name comes from. In other words, functions for factors. And the function you want for this is fct underscore reorder, or FCT underscore reorder to. Those functions take a factor and then a variable or a pair of variables that you're going to use to reorder that factor and the function to use to choose how to reorder. So in Samantha's case, she wanted to order by a count of deaths, and everything was grouped by her categorical variable, and so she wanted to order by the highest deaths in each category. And so the function she passed into factor reorder was max. You can also set whether you want to go descending or ascending in the factor reorder arguments. If you need help figuring out how to do something in R, or if you think you can help people find answers to their R questions, check us out at r4ds.online. Thank you for listening! If you enjoy the podcast, check us out at patreon.com slash tidytuesday. You can find us at tidytuesday.com for show notes, or at tidypod on Twitter. We'll be back next week with a new dataset. Until then, always be learning and keep it tidy.